we're about to go into the conversation with Luke Zamperini. I'm sitting with Chris Shields. And Chris, this story of Louis Zamperini, did you know this story before we, I mean, because you're younger, you know, you, I mean, you would have been 12 when the movie came out or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, I knew a little bit about it, uh-huh. not too much about it. Yeah. But after hearing the details that were shared, it's, you know, it's amazing. It's mind blowing. It's amazing. And it, it makes me think of the fact that all true heroes don't wear capes. Wow. Yeah, that's true. And oftentimes we lean on these, you know, fabrications from the Avengers and DC. (laughs) You lean on them. Well, I mean, millennials in general. (laughs) I mean, look at our world today. No, that's true. We we prop up people as heroes and we look at at personalities as heroes. Exactly. Maybe a guy can run fast or, or maybe he arrives at some place of power or position or prestige or because he's got a two million followers. Exactly. On Instagram. Yeah. Come on, somebody. Or Facebook. Yeah. And that makes him a hero? I don't think so. No. And we find out the real heroes are guys like this. And Louis Zamperini, an amazing story. We talk, and I'm just so thankful for his son to take the time to talk with us, talk about his dad, proud of his dad. But Luke has done an amazing work with this organization. Yes. The Louis Zamperini Foundation. And taking this message of a true hero and using it to inspire young people. This is a great conversation. I think this will enlarge all of our lives as we talk to Luke Zamperini. It's Brave Man with Paul Lewis Cole. Wisdom and courage for the journey. I'm with uh, Luke Zamperini, a former executive with the city of Los Angeles. But I think for most of us, we would know you, Luke, as the son of Louis Zamperini in the movie Unbroken, the book Unbroken, and the amazing story of your father's life, which now you are carrying on in a legacy that is touching people all over the world. But in a thumbnail, give me the story of your father's uh, dramatic life. Well, it's truly an amazing story. Son of Italian immigrants who was a basically a juvenile delinquent as a young man, channeled his energies into sports at the behest of his older brother and the chief of police in Torrance, California. And the chief uh, of police. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, we've been chasing him all over town. We suggest he goes into track and field. So uh, he started setting a high school records. Uh, he set a high school record from the mile, made his way to the 1936 Berlin Olympics, uh, competed there. He didn't medal, but uh, he was, uh, he felt that 1940 would have been his Olympics. He came back, uh, he went to the University of Southern California where he set a collegiate record for the mile at four minutes, eight seconds. He was almost the first guy to break the four minute mile. Wow. And then of course, World War II was, uh, was, was brewing. And uh, so he joined the Army Air Force. He was a bombardier in the Pacific. Uh, and one mission, his plane crashed in the ocean and he floated in a rubber life raft with a couple other uh, guys for 47 days. They drifted 2,000 miles into the uh, Japanese-controlled portion of the Pacific Ocean. They were picked up by the Japanese Navy and they recognized him because they followed American sports and they wanted to use him for propaganda purposes. So they put him in a secret concentration camp. And uh, then after the War Department uh, declared him dead here in the United States, uh, they marched him out and put him on a radio show where they let him write his own, his, his own message to his parents, and he did. And then they wanted him to do 
uh, propaganda broadcasts, which he refused to do. And uh, he spent the last um, 27 months of the war in a Japanese prison camp being beaten every day by a particularly sadistic guard uh, referred to as the bird. And uh, of course, he developed PTSD while he was in the mm. prison camp. It was manifesting itself in these horrendous uh, uh, dreams where he was uh, you know, being beaten by the bird. And he would then, uh, in the dreams, he would be uh, you know, murdering the guy with his bare hands. And so after the war, he came home. The dreams continued. His life started to fall apart. He couldn't get back into um, uh, you know, the world-class shape to compete for the next Olympics. And I mean, he was just spiraling out of control. He was self-medicating with alcohol. Hmm. And finally, uh, one day he walked into the, uh, a tent meeting in downtown Los Angeles with a brand new preacher, a guy named Billy Graham. And wow. uh, he came to faith and immediately knew that he was done drinking and he was done fighting and that he had forgiven his prison guards including the bird and a year later he went on a missions trip back to japan to find his uh, old guards who themselves were now prisoners as because they were considered uh, war criminals and forgave them face to face he just never he ne never found the bird uh but uh but he did forgive his other guards face to face and it's just a miraculous story and it just shows what the power of forgiveness is uh, and just the power of christ in man's life this is, uh, you know, you said it in a short way, the, the book Unbroken. And what was the author's name, Hillebrand? Uh, Laura Hillebrand. Lauren Hillebrand. That thing drew it out. And I would recommend everyone who's listening to this or watching this right now to get that book, Unbroken, because it does draw it out. The fascinating thing, though, is that he went back on a missions trip. Yeah really right after the war, right? Yes. Well, actually, the war ended in 45. He came to faith in 1949. That was uh, when the, the, the uh, Canvas yeah. Cathedral was set up in Los Angeles. In 1950, he went back to Japan. That's, amazing. That's right after the war. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it was the it was still you know the American occupation forces there, and you know the prison guards were themselves incarcerated as war criminals, and he was able to, you know, General MacArthur called for a million Bibles and twenty five thousand missionaries, and so my dad joined up in that effort and went back there for that trip, and specifically to find those prison guards and to forgive them face to face. Now, uh, what did when you know? Let's go back. He's he's flying. He's a he's a navigator, bombardier, bombardier, bombardier. And so in that, he's focusing on you know what his job is. They're flying, and they get shot down over the ocean. Well, actually, he was on a reconnaissance mission looking for a downed uh, B twenty five when the plane that they were in suddenly had engine failure, and they crashed. And so uh, three three people survived out of a crew of eleven. My dad being one of them, and they climbed aboard a rubber life raft, and that began their odyssey at sea. Forty seven days. What did he tell you about that? <laughs> well, let's see. These and were what my about stories. That? These were my bedtime stories growing up, and so uh, you know, I would ask him about various aspects of it. It was. He was somebody who made the best out of every situation. Any setback he had in life was an excuse to train. 
and an excuse to use what uh, his the skills that he learned as a as an Eagle Scout or he learned when he was in school. And uh, so um, they said about uh, you know thinking that they could be rescued immediately, but they may not be. So they uh, my dad started um, uh, a routine of describing recipes of food, how you how you make food mm. as a way to keep his mind sharp and to, they, they were having virtual meals because they had nothing else to eat. Uh, they, uh, from the 47 days they had, uh, all they had to eat was uh, was two shark livers that they, and they, they had to kill the sharks themselves and you know, got tired of the sharks trying to eat them so they ate the sharks and a couple of albatross and, and that was it. So his, uh, uh, you know, when he crashed in the ocean, he was uh, uh, five foot ten, 155 pounds. When the Japanese fished him out 47 days later, he weighed 66 pounds. Oh my goodness. So uh, he's the only person you will ever have heard that actually gained weight in a Japanese prison camp because at the end of the war, he was 90 pounds. Now, now he talked a lot about, and you still teach about it in the Zamperini Foundation, you teach a lot about resilience. Tell me what that means, and how did your father uh, teach that, and how do you teach that, Luke? Well, okay, so uh, Laura Hillenbrand described him as having a resilient optimism that wouldn't quit. Say uh, that again. Resilient optimism that wouldn't quit. Mm. And uh, so, um, he always felt that uh, you know uh, he could get out of any situation that he was in. And my, in fact, my, my uncle had remarked once that uh, while he was missing at sea, he thought, well, you know, if he can find a, a sandbar to stand on and it's got a toothbrush, he'll he'll be okay. <laughs> so he just used all the resources he learned as being a, an Eagle Scout and uh, being someone who spent most of his life living outdoors. I mean, even as a young kid, he he you know. He would sleep outdoors, and they had to they had to go out and find their own food. So he'd go on hunting expeditions to to get deer or mud hens, whatever they could find. And so he just was a uh, he used he just never quit. You see, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, this is a guy that had a very defiant nature. That's why he was such a troublemaker as a kid, and he was able to to channel that defiance into athletics, which turned his life around to some respect. And then that resilience and that, 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 um, uh, that uh, defiance served him well on the life raft and in the prison camp, but it let him down. His defiant nature let him down after the war when he was suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder because he just wouldn't, they didn't know how to treat it as a matter of fact. Yeah, and it was tearing him apart. Yeah. Just tearing, tearing him apart. Yeah. So, so resilience then came out of, in a sense, it came out of who he was as a person, but God sanctified that. Where did he, and what point did he come to Christ? Uh, he came to Christ, uh, he'd been, the, the war ended in 1945. Uh, he was suffering with his PTSD for about, about four years. And uh, then in 1949, there was a, a revival meeting in downtown Los Angeles in a you know a big canvas tent, and uh, my my mother uh, convinced him to go. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to know anything about uh, you know revival preachers or anything. And he walked in and he saw this 
tall, athletic, good-looking young guy named Billy Graham preaching on the stage. And of course, he hated what he heard and he stormed out. But my mom talked to me to going back uh, a couple of days later and he went back. And uh, when he hated what he heard again and he started to storm out when suddenly uh, Graham's message seemed to be completely focused on my dad. And he just stopped and listened to him saying essentially that when you get to the end of your rope, and you have no place else to turn, that's when you turn to God to save you from whatever situation that you find yourself in. Right. And it reminded him of a day, on, the, on the, a moment on the life raft. It had been about 30 days at sea. Mm. They hadn't had any water to drink for seven days. They knew they were dying. And he uttered a prayer and said, Lord, if you get me home from this alive, uh, I will seek you and serve you my entire life. And lo and behold, a cloud appears on the horizon and it's a sea squall that comes right over the raft and they've got drinking water. And so he repeated that prayer a couple more times uh, whenever they were out of water and the rains came again. It was really miraculous. Uh, and he repeated that prayer in prison camp. So he totally forgot all about it yeah. until he heard uh, you know, uh, Billy Graham uh, talking about uh, being at the end of your rope. And it suddenly took him right back onto that life raft and he could feel the rain on his face. And he said, I said, I don't know how I did it. I just ended up down by the stage where they had all those counselors to walk through the process. And he said that when he got up off his knees, uh, after saying the sinner's prayer, he knew a miracle had happened to him. He had wow. knew that he was done uh, getting drunk and he was done fighting. And he knew he'd forgiven his prison guards, including the bird. Now, he's been, been having horrendous nightmares uh, ever since he met the bird. Uh, this, this is how his post-traumatic stress disorder was manifesting itself. And what, did the, what was it the bird did to him? You say he, he hurt him? Did he uh, beat him? Or? Oh, yes. Uh, the, the bird's job was to break this guy who wouldn't do mm. the, the propaganda broadcast that... Uh, that the Japanese Imperial Army wanted him to do. And so he beat him every day. He beat him with a kendo stick. He beat him with a, a belt buckle, a big iron you know, belt buckle about two inches across. He beat him with that. He beat him with his fists. He kicked him. He broke his nose three times. Um, and of course, the worst thing of all was he tried to remove his dignity. Yeah. And uh, he just would not, he just refused to lose his dignity. And of course, his natural defiant nature wanted revenge on the bird, but he knew he couldn't, he couldn't attack him in the prison camp. They would just, they would kill him. So he internalized his need for revenge. That, that's what manifested uh, the PTSD and the nightmares. And that, that night that he came to faith in that Billy Graham tent meeting, was the first night in years he didn't have that nightmare and he never had again the rest of his life. Uh, his PTSD was gone in an instant. And I remember hearing people say, hey, well, you know, that's impossible. How, how, your life can't change in an instant like that. He says, oh yes, it can. For instance, it changes the moment you say, I do, when you get married. I mean, that's, it's, your life has changed in an instant. Right. So, uh, but, I firmly believe, and my dad believed as well, that this was a miracle. Now, God still can perform miracles when he wants to. And this was a miracle that capped a series of miracles in my dad's life 
just wow. to show the power of God to other people that may be struggling with similar issues. And so yeah. really, a, really a miraculous moment. Uh, it, it turned him around. He was a different man from that day on. Yeah, the Bible says we become, in Proverbs 4, it says, guard your heart because you'll become what's in your heart. Mm -hmm. In John 20, Jesus told the disciples, when you forgive someone, they're forgiven. When you don't forgive them, it's not released. Mm -hmm. And so what you keep in your heart, that's why the, if you will, without forgiveness, the sons of alcoholics become alcoholics. The sons of abusers become abusers because we've hated it, but we've never forgiven. Mm -hmm. And so what you're saying, Luke, is that that night that your father forgave that man who had so deep. In fact, he had dreamed of how he was going to get back at him. Yes. He was, his life was intent on going back to Japan, finding this guy and killing him. Get that guy. I'm going to get that guy. And he's thinking what he's going to do to him. Yeah. So the night that he forgives him, not only is, is he become a follower of Christ, in, in, but in a very real sense, his headaches, the uh, many of the things that had, had caused him to have deep struggles were instantly broken off his life by the power of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. it, yes, it was. Um, he used to say that, you know, hating somebody was like, taking poison and hoping the other guy dies because <laughs> your your hatred for that person person isn't doing anything to them but it's tearing you apart so it was actually self-preservation for him to forgive the bird wow. and he no longer uh you know uh had that hatred in his heart for him and people would say how does that happen how does somebody forgive uh someone that had abused him so badly like that and I, you know, I, I just got to tell you that I, I think, I think my dad, he had to love the bird with the same love that God had for him mm. when he sent uh, his son to die on the cross for our sins. And mm. so it's that love of action, that agape love, if, if you will. So he, he wanted nothing but to go back and find the bird and preach the gospel to him. That's, that's, that's how much his life changed. Hey, this is Chris. Let me take a moment right in the middle of this great conversation to remind you how to get in touch with Paul and Christian Men's Network and the Global Fatherhood Initiative. You can find all the resources for mentoring and fatherhood at cmn.men. That's cmn.men. Also, you can write to Paul at paul at cmn.men. That's paul at cmn.men. We have tremendous resources for churches with special discounts for groups on that website. Everything a church needs from A to Z to mentor and disciple men of all ages and backgrounds. Now let's get back to this awesome interview between Paul and Luke Zambrini. Now, uh, the book, the movie, uh, the Coen Brothers, Unbroken, the one, it was huge all over the world. But I don't remember seeing that in that movie. Yeah, the... Um... The movie only told the story up to a certain point. And I, I re remember having conversations with the producer and the director saying, you don't understand uh, because when we, we hear from people that are affected by a story, yeah, we hear some people say, well, if he can survive 47 days in a life raft, I can get to my kidney dialysis. But right. mostly we hear from people saying, if he could forgive the bird 
after what he did to him, I can forgive my brother who I haven't spoken to in 25 years. And this was the real power of the story. And of course, you know, well, we only have two hours and 17 minutes to tell it. We, we wouldn't do it justice. Uh, and so the, 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 the film Unbroken stopped at the end of the war. My dad comes home, embraces his family, and that's the end of the film. Uh, but um, we were able to go back and get Universal to fund a sequel. And we made a sequel called Unbroken Path to Redemption. Of course, it had different actors in it for the most part, except for the, 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 the men and women that played my grandparents. They, they made it from one film to the next. And it, it covers my dad's love affair with my mom after the war and them getting married and their life together, his frustration, his PTSD, and his coming to faith uh, in the Billy Graham tent meeting. So, so it, it, uh, it's really, it's really uh, too bad that it didn't get much promotion. It was really a good sequel. Okay, so it's getting some promotion right now. So uh, it, it's, uh, right, it's available with Pure Flix, and yeah. it's called Unbroken, The Path to Redemption. Correct. Right? And I want to recommend that, that people get that and show that to youth groups Man, show that to men. Show that to anybody, right? Yes. You could show that on a, on a men's breakfast, something like that. Take the time. But that, that story of forgiveness is so powerful. And then your father, when he forgives the man, he's now launched and goes back as a missionary. He's now launched into a whole new path of life. Oh, absolutely. I, I, the other day, I was looking through my dad's 1949 daytimer, you know, all these mundane entries about getting the car fixed or going to the post office or, or whatever. Yeah. And then in no, November, uh, actually it was October of 1949, also there's, there's, a, there's an entry that says, Cynthia, my mom, uh, comes to faith in Christ. And then a few days later, another entry says, Louis comes to Christ. And then all the entries change. It really? changed to Church of the Open Door. Gave my testimony, received $20. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Van Nuys Baptist Church gave my testimony, received $20. Back to the revival meeting, gave my testimony. So all of a sudden, he was thrust into being a kind of an evangelist. All he did was tell his story, and people would come to faith. Wow. And so it was an instant, instant lifestyle change. Now, so by the time you're born and you're cognitive, uh, your dad's well known. Yes. And how did your journey of faith come out of that setting? Okay. Well, uh, my dad, um, it, you know, uh, about a year before I was born, he started a nonprofit organization called Victory Boys Camps. Mm. And he would go and get kids out of the California youth correctional uh, facilities and take them up into the high Sierras. Uh, with another uh, Olympian and, uh, and of course, some sheriff's deputies who would go along. And he he tried to get through to them by teaching them that they can achieve things. He'd teach them how to fish, teach them how to climb, teach wow. them how to boat, that kind of thing. And I got to go along when I was just a wee boy. And I was seven years old, is sitting, in, you know, driving down uh, the highway in the high Sierras of California with a carload of juvenile delinquents. Uh, <laughs> I, I gave my life to Christ. I, you know, I just, just been around my dad who, by the way, never stopped talking about the joy of, of having faith in Christ. It was, he was always excited to share that. 
Um, and uh, so uh, I grew up in, in that Christian home, and, it, and he was still quite famous in the 1950s. And then, of course, the, the cultural change of the 1960s came along, and he began to fade from memory. And he was kind of an unknown uh, factor until uh, until the book Unbroken came out in 2010 and became an instant hit, uh, five years on the New York Times bestseller list. And wow. so he became a household name again. Wow. What were some of the key issues that, that or key core values, if you will, Luke, that your dad taught you that you pass on not only in your own family, but you pass on to other young, because in particular, your foundation has a curriculum, the yes. open curriculum now for in essentially the 14 year old age group, but I'm sure we can go either direction on that. Uh, yes, yes, we, yes, we can. As a matter of fact, um, there is a place called the Dream Center in Los Angeles where it does fantastic work at, dealing with homeless people, people recovering from addiction and stuff. They're using the Unbroken Curriculum for their, their adult male recovery program this wow. year. Uh, it's, it, it, awesome. it's, it's written for that 14-year-old uh, mind, but it actually works on either side of that. The story, the story affects people no matter what age group they're in. And it's just a way, it's a methodology of exploring the story and really fleshing out the, 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 uh, the themes that, that you see in it of, uh, you know, survival, resilience, redemption, you name it. So he caught, he taught you then, he taught you resilience, he taught you forgiveness. What are the core values then that you teach that he taught you? Well, he also taught me wisdom. And, you know, mm -hmm. he would explain to me that, you know, knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. You know, you could have knowledge of something, but it, uh, wisdom would be the proper application of that knowledge, or as I like to say, Wisdom is the skill of maneuvering through life. You know, you take what knowledge you have and you apply that. And as you maneuver through life, you make hopefully wise decisions for yourself, or you, or, or you, at least you learn from the unwise decisions that you make. <laughs> um, you know, he also taught me that you need to, you need to have a good attitude. Hmm. You need to be a positive person uh, that, um, that, and you need to do good deeds. And he used to say that uh, being a good deed doer uh, was actually uh, improved his health. Because when you are, when you're helping other people, releases endorphins into your own bloodstream, and it helps you, uh, you know, uh, keeps your immune system up. Uh, he just always had a positive attitude. He was so always said you have to have a positive attitude at all times. And by the way, his favorite Bible verse was Romans eight twenty eight. Really, all things work together for the good for those that love Christ and are called uh, according to His purpose. Yeah. And so that everything that happened in His life, all His near-death experiences, all of His torments, torments, all of His uh, survival to see, all that worked together for good because it gave Him a message to give people that would lead them to Jesus Christ. And so He felt it was all worth it. And when the book Unbroken came out, He goes, "Now I know why I'm still alive. It's so that this." This story can get out in, in this in this scale and affect uh, as many people as, as possible. I mean, millions of people have read the book. So he wrote a book called "Don't Give Up, Don't Give In," and in that one set, there's one part where he talks about hope, and he says, "Don't ask why, ask what's next." Yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. So don't give up, don't give in is the life lessons that he learned from his experience. And he put it in very, uh, uh, very little short chapters that are easy for young people to read through. And uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, he was someone that he never went, why me, oh Lord? Actually, he did one time. He told me that, <laughs> that when he had an, an operation, he had half a kidney removed and he was in pain laying in the hospital. You know, he'd been a Christian for about four years at this point. And he's thinking, Lord, why do I have to go through all this pain? You know, I, I, you know, I'm your servant. Why do I have to go through all this? And he just kind of looked around the ward and saw all these other people in more pain than he was that yeah. may not have been Christians. And he just said, okay, well, you give me what I, what I need to make me stronger. And uh, so he accepted his pain and he's been able to accept whatever situation he finds himself in knowing that that he will be able to use that situation to then point people to the message that he spent his entire life uh, uh which which is uh faith in jesus christ can change your life the meth yeah and, and he didn't back off of that he, he no. you know <laughs> if he was on a tv show or if he was being interviewed he never backed off of he didn't hit people in the face with it, but he just never backed off of, here's what changed my life. Yeah, well, you know, what's, what's, what's unique about his story, and, uh, you know, I, I do do some, um, I visit high schools, and I, uh, uh, I visit correctional facilities, and I do Skype calls with high school uh, that have been reading the book, and you, you, you're just telling what happened to the man, you can mention Jesus Christ and how it changed his life. And I, I saw this firsthand when I, I was with my dad in, in Germany. Uh, he was speaking to, to some de Department of Defense schools for the children of our military families that were living in Germany. And so, you know, he's because the question and answer portion of his, uh, his talk and the hand goes up and says, how could you forgive the bird like that? And he talks about, tells about his conversion experience. So I'm standing next to these army chaplains whose chins are hitting the floor, and they're saying, we're forbidden to even mention the name Jesus Christ on these campuses. Your dad's getting away with it because the kids asked him, and he's just telling what happened to them. And so it's the same way with our unbroken curriculum in the public high schools. They're just, you know, the book Unbroken is not a religious book. The, the author is not a Christian, at least not, not as far as I know. And but it just tells the story of a man that whose life gets turned around when he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. So it's there mm -hmm. for them to see. Wow. And, and so it's, uh, it's the unique nature of his story, I think, is that it's, it's so compelling. So that by the time you get to, the, to the, the, the part where he comes to faith, you're, you're willing to hear it because it's what, it's what turned him around. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's such a... It's such a dramatic story and is so powerful in, in really going back to uh, the fact that he was a juvenile delinquent himself mm -hmm. and didn't have a purpose in life. And when he started running, that changed everything, gave him an object for his purpose. And then he then he, he goes through this whole, you know, the resilience and have hope and and a resilient optimism those things and, and goes through these terrible beatings, comes back, deals with a lot of stuff. And then when he comes to faith in Christ, it's then he says, now I know why I'm on the face of the earth. Right. His true purpose finally 
it came down to him. It's true purpose. You know, so often uh, many of us find ourselves in a situation, Luke, where we're wondering, how did I get here? Why am I here? Uh, and, if, and, and really, we kind of get down about it very easily. Say, so, well, I, I've missed God's plan or I've missed, you know, what his plan was. So I guess I'll just never be anything. I think your dad's story tells us there's something more than just that little track that somehow somebody pulled us off of. There's something larger, and that's a purpose for our lives. Yes, well, we, uh, you know, we, like uh, what the Apostle Paul says, we, we can't all be eyes and we can't all be ears. Some of us need to be the toes. So we, when you have faith in Christ, you have purpose. Okay, you have purpose in your life, and if, whether it's to be to witness to your neighbor down the street or to somebody you get in a car accident with, or you know, whatever the situation is, you're able to to share your faith when you know uh, when appropriate. Uh, that's purpose. You know, it's like um, you know uh, people that may have delusions of grandeur, like they want to be you know a, a great a great leader or or a great businessman or whatever. Uh, when they find that they can affect the life of uh, a misguided child. That what greater purpose is there than that? Wow. I mean, that's for us to be able to to pour into other people the, our experience and our wisdom and our faith in, in our Lord, and be able to share that with them and, and watch their lives turn around. It's worth it, even if just for one person. Yeah, you know, you were a senior executive with the city of Los Angeles for many years. And now uh, working with the Zampini, uh, Zamperini Foundation. And it's, it's an amazing thing that you're doing, Luke. And I thank God for you being willing, uh, if you will, to wrap yourself in this legacy and carry it forward to touch thousands of lives. And I'm thrilled that, that you've got unbroken the curriculum in the public schools. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So I, I thank God for you, Luke. I thank God for what you're doing. I thank God for your dad and what he was, what he willed himself through to find the purpose of God in his life and for your mom and uh, for you and your family, Luke. So we bless you and we thank God for you. And we look forward to seeing Unbroken in schools across the nation and around the world and in many different languages. I mean, this is a, a story and a message for the ages. And if Christ comes back a hundred years from now, 10 years from now, or a thousand, I believe this is a story that still continues to be, to be told because it's a story of redemption. It is indeed. Luke, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for taking the time. God Thank bless. you, Paul. It was a pleasure talking with you. All right. God bless you. We'll see you. Man. Okay. Wow, Paul. We really know what a true hero is now. Yeah, that, that man was a true hero, his dad. And Luke, you know, for him to just carry this on, you know, it shows a, a strength of humility, doesn't it? Yes. And I mean, it, sh it yeah. literally bolds in the reality of what a true legacy is. Yeah. He, um, one of his uh, things I think that, that was really good that, that Luke talked about is their message is a message of hope. Yes. And I think, too, and particularly, they're going to a lot of inner-city, urban situations, Chris. Yes. And I think that's what uh, young men need to see is they see a hero. That's great. But they also need to have a message of hope. Yeah. You know, Unbroken really speaks of climbing out of 
situations, crisis, chaos, things, right? Yeah. And it really shows Broken the situations. It shows the blood, sweat, and tears that it comes mm-hmm. to be successful. Yeah, you know that's that's part of it. It it takes um, tenacity. Yes. It takes uh, being willing to stick to it. Yeah. You know, many of the interviews we've done with uh, with men who have come out of difficult situations, um, and and basically a lot of our, basically all our interviews have a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. Or it wasn't just all, hey, we're going to interview you because your life's never had anything bad exactly. happen. <laughs> You've lived the perfect life, so yeah, come on so our show. Yeah. But it also reminds me of what your dad, one of the quotes that will always be in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I've really lived my life towards this. Champions are not those that never fell. It's those that never quit. Yeah. And that has been a staple. And I mean, everyone that we've had on this show yeah. has been that. I mean, even the example you lead as the president of this organization, that's what you walk in. Yeah. Like you lead by that example. Yeah, never quit. And uh, like Sean Smith, who's coming up, uh, yeah. some of the other interviews that we have, these are guys, well, all of them, like I said, you know, everybody's walked through something, something. right? <laughs> yes. And we all walk through something. And that's the, that's really what brave men is about. It's not about just meeting brave men. It's about letting that story enlarge my life, inspire me put me in a place where I want to be closer to God, where I really want to get in the word, let the spirit of Christ fill my heart so my identity is in Christ. And and I live like Louis Zamperini in a world that's broken. I live an unbroken life. Yes. And uh, thanks for being with us today on Brave Men. You've just experienced Brave Men with Paul Lewis Cole. Paul is president of the Christian Men's Network. Connect with Paul at cmn.men or write to him at paul at cmn.men.